Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I argue and critique and <laughs> try to <laughs> uncover the secrets of horror films <laughs> like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything. Maybe you think our theories are ridiculous or stupid, <laughs> but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our Cabin in the Woods horror theme with the 2012 film, The Cabin in the Woods. And yeah. so... You know, we thought this would be the perfect one to wrap up with, seeing as how The Cabin in the Woods is basically a homage or meta spoof on essentially the Cabin in the Woods horror genre. So, And it's uh, like one of my favorites. And it's pretty great. Uh, so this was directed by Drew Goddard, who also directed the film Bad Times at the El Royale, which I actually liked. I, yeah. I, I feel like I've seen a lot of opinions on that movie that aren't as positive about it, but I Aww. like it. It's not it's not one that I like crave, but it's a good movie, you it's know. It's solid. Uh and it was written by Goddard and Joss Whedon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who many of you probably know from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He also wrote Alien Resurrection and he can go fuck himself. Um, <laughs> and I'm not even going to get into why cuz I'm sure some of you know. Um and if you don't, look him up. But anyway, <laughs> so The Cat in the Woods is essentially about a group of kids who go to stay at a cabin in the woods for the weekend and honestly to say anything more than that would be to spoil it so I will just say that they unleash horrors unimaginable and that's not even the half of it so (laughs) (laughs) uh, so if you have not seen the film we are going to be spoiling the hell out of it so we do recommend that you check it out before we get into that Uh, but as usual we have our spoiler free content so as far as releases go this week uh, there's a few very interesting ones so first up is a film called the last matinee i'm pretty sure i've talked about this on here before when it was releasing in limited theaters but it is now on vod these these will all be out by the time you're listening to this uh it's the last matinee it's out on vod uh and it's basically a neo giallo film that honestly just you know, I it's one of those movies that I this is totally like cliche to say, but I feel like it would make, you know, Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci and all these great <laughs> Italian giallo directors like it it would make them weep, you know? Like yeah. it's <laughs> uh like it's it's a homage to that genre. It's a it's a love letter to frankly just cinema in general, you know. It essentially takes place in a theater and there's a killer going around killing people who are watching this movie and it has really great commentary on honestly just the obnoxiousness of people in the theater sometimes uh and kind of like the sort of sacredness of it now i know some of you hear like sacredness applied to theaters and for some reason that's like a taboo thing to say these days but look i love the theater it's you know i it's what i grew up with and this movie really is just 
a love letter to that. I get that we're getting away from theaters and everyone wants to think that they're stupid now because of obnoxious audiences, but I'm going off track here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That being said, I do agree with the idea, though, that everything should be released at home at the same time. But uh, but anyway, so it's got a killer going around doing that. It's heavily Giallo-esque, very, very gory, some insane kills in this movie. I I really enjoyed it. I, I think it's a lot... I don't even know if I can call it fun because it's so brutal, but it's... <laughs> I think it was fun. It, it, but it's a fun... Yeah, it's a fun yeah. slasher movie. Um, So definitely check that out if you can. That's out on VOD from Dark... Or, uh, that's out on VOD from Dark Star and Bloody Disgusting. Their collaborations have been great so far together, so you can really count on them to like, give you something good. Uh, another one coming out this week is No Man of God. This will be out on VOD from RLJE Films. Uh, but No Man of God essentially stars uh, Elijah Wood as the real-life detective who interviewed Ted Bundy up until the days right before he was uh, put to death and executed. And it's, you know, so I I think when we hear, you know, a new Ted Bundy movie, a lot of us collectively sigh and we're <laughs> like, not only do I not give a shit about Bundy anymore, but I sure as hell don't need another movie about him. And I especially don't need another movie about him that sort of like glorifies him in a sense. Yeah. Um, Kind of like that one that came out last year or so, but... I can rest assure you all that that No Man of God does not in any way glorify Bundy. It, it does a great job, actually, of revealing him for the monster that he is. And essentially, you know, it's it's most of the film is really just Elijah Wood in this room interviewing Bundy. And so uh, if you like the show Mindhunters, you know, that Ooh. that's essentially it, it's the same character that I guess you can't call him a character. He's a real life person, but it's the same detective that Elijah Wood is playing in this film that's in Mindhunter, that's the lead. And, yeah, essentially, if you like that show, it's basically that show crammed down into an hour and a half. Okay, so, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so so it's a really great film. Definitely recommend that. And then lastly, of course, is Candyman, which... Yeah! Uh, which is out in theaters this weekend. I, I've heard rumors about it coming to HBO Max. I don't know if that's true or not yet, but uh, hopefully it is. But at this point, it's just in theaters, so if you feel safe... Go support Candyman if you can. I won't be because you fucking anti-vaxxers fucked us. <laughs> I'm dying uh, inside. I've wanted to see Candyman for so long. Yeah, well, this is why they should be releasing things on the same day, you know, because not all of us really want to go to the theater anymore right now. So. Yeah. Uh, or not that we don't want to, but you motherfuckers made me feel unsafe because <laughs> humans are gross. Um, yep. But anyway, so so those are all out this weekend. So check that out if you can. Lots of great stuff. Another thing we like to do is put up a poll every week on our Twitter at Killer Critics and kind of get your thoughts and feelings on the film that we're talking about. So with The Cabin in the Woods, between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience falls here? (laughs) Obviously, everybody loved it because this movie's amazing. Obviously. Obviously. Um, Yeah, no. Love it was 75% on this one. Uh, It's fine is 19%. Don't like it was a measly 2%. Uh, no offense to anybody who voted that way. Yeah. And never seen it was 4%. That 4% needs to get on it. This movie's great. Go see it. <laughs> uh, it is a blast. So we also like to get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. At Simmy41. So that's S-I-M-M-Y. And then the numbers 4-1. Says, love this film. Went in pretty cold and just found it loads of fun. So many Easter eggs for horror fans. Yeah, I feel like... You know, honestly, I feel like it's hard when it first came out to not go into this movie cold because whatever you expected Cabin in the Woods to be, it both was that and wasn't that at the same time. 
You know? I, I don't agree with you at all, actually. Um, what? <laughs> no, because the reason I don't agree with you is because this movie actually, I think, is one of the best advertised in the last 10 years because I don't think it revealed anything of what was going on in this film. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, but your statement makes no sense because the movie's not what you think it's going to be. <laughs> Yes and no. No, it's it's not at all <laughs> what you think it's going to be. It doesn't Every, end up being, but you still get a cabin movie. No, well, right, but that's why you're wrong. Like, <laughs> <laughs> look, no, the this film this film was brilliantly marketed because, you know, you've got this poster with this like Rubik's Cube house, right? And all it says is, you know, something like uh you don't know this story or you think you know the story or whatever. And then it, yeah, you get a Cabin in the Woods movie, but it's really not that. Like, it's, you know, I, I'm not trying to spoil anything here if you haven't seen it, but uh, but the movie is so much beyond anything you might have expected. So so I don't, I don't think that any of your expectations are necessarily really met with this other than enjoying it. <laughs> Fine. Uh, but anyway, so I will just add to Chris's comment there that... <laughs> Uh, that I also agree. Yeah, no, there are so many Easter eggs in this movie. This is a, frankly, a horror fan's wet dream. I mean, it's just, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it here. We'll talk about this as we as we go throughout. But there is just a ton of stuff in here for horror fans to to enjoy, you know. And it's got a third act that I think that even if you don't like the movie as a whole, it's kind of difficult to watch that third act, I think, and not be somewhat entertained. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, there's tons of Easter eggs there for fans. But anyway, so thank you at Simi41 for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Beernut1. He says, the wife and I love this movie. Cabin in the Woods is a fun mix of what feels like a top secret experiment going wrong mixed with isolated group of teens in the woods with one of the best endings ever, in my opinion. Uh, still not sure why... Uh, Hadley was obsessed with the merman. <laughs> uh, who wouldn't be obsessed with a merman? Yeah. It'd be amazing. I, I definitely agree. This is definitely one of my favorite horror films. I'm pretty sure that outside of Friday the 13th, this is the one that I make Matt watch the most when I choose horror films because I it's just so much fun. The twists are great. And you know what? I'm with Hadley. There are not enough merman horror films. There's mermaids, but I want some mermen. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh just in general, and that's the fun thing. I mean, there are Cabin in the Woods movies that have merpeople. <laughs> They're very few and far between. And I mean, to to answer Seth's comment there, uh, again, try not to spoil anything here, but to answer Seth's comment, uh, I would just say that I think Hadley's obsession is basically just a pretty simple commentary on the fact that, like, we just don't get those kinds of movies very often, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's really just him being like, I'm never going to see one because nobody we will never really, <laughs> we never really see them. <laughs> exactly. They're difficult to do, but there's not a lot of interest in mer people for some reason, but I would love to see more of mer people horror films as well. Um, but anyway, thank you at beer, Nut one for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next up is at M Sawzall. So that's M S A W Z A L L. And they say, more, most horror comedies screw it up by having the wrong balance. This movie nails it. They even throw in a dash of sci-fi. And then they just go on to say, you know, it thinks that 
Joss Whedon has anything to do with this movie because <laughs> because <laughs> it kind of taints it to watch it in a bit. <laughs> it does. It does taint it a bit. I am, but yeah, they really pull off what is super difficult. I feel like we talked about this a little bit with Evil Dead that finding that balance between doing a horror film that's not only comedic but really has you feel for the characters too mm. is artistry. And you know, Drew Goddard did such a fantastic job with this film, and it's such a bonkers concept that the fact that he pulled it off and made an amazing movie out of it is fucking fantastic. Uh, it's a tough movie to pull off. It's a tough one to sell, and yeah. we'll talk about that in a sec. But no, yeah, it, it you know, Sossel's right here in that it does a, an incredible job of balancing the horror and the comedy. And this is where I think that so many uh, horror comedies get it wrong, like they mentioned, which is that you know, most horror comedies tend to lean into one or the other without actually balancing the two, mm-hmm. you know? So it either ends up being too funny or too, like, dark. And, you know, they just... It's a really difficult thing to combine. And yet Cabin in the Woods does it well in that it makes you laugh, but there is some scary shit in it, right? Yeah. Like, there is some really great actual horror stuff where you are on edge and not just laughing the whole time, you know? And that's the point to a horror comedy is to scare and make you laugh. So, uh, so no, it does a great job there. But anyway, so thank you at Sawzall for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at just underscore Erica underscore. So that's just underscore e-r-i-c-a underscore and they say i love this movie when you start watching it it feels like something that's been done several times before but it takes that concept and spins it into something so unique i would love to see some of the alternate storylines that could happen yeah it this movie really does a good job i think from jump throwing you with a curveball because i think the opening scene you get in this movie kind of sets up that this is not gonna be kind of what you're expecting to come out of it. I know that sounds really cryptic, but we're trying not to do spoilers right now. But I absolutely, like, this is one of the movies that I kind of did want to franchise out of. Kind of would have liked to seen like, the different branches we could have gotten out of this. But I feel like that would have been difficult to do. Yeah, so I'll just say this. First of all, I agree with the, I agree with the first half of the comment where it's like, I you're right. The Even just the opening scene, you're automatically kind of thrown for a loop of like, I this is already not what I quite what I expected, right? And, and I think that's great because that just you know then you're set up for like the next half hour of the movie, like what the hell's going on, you know? <laughs> but as far as the uh, spinoffs, I think it's a fun idea. I just it's one that I think would be really hard to pull off in the sense that I feel like once you kind of know what's going on in this movie, like that's a big part of the plus of it mm-hmm. you know and anything outside of that you're just kind of making another cabin in the woods movie yeah with with different creatures right so i'm not saying it's impossible uh but just thinking on my toes on, on the uh, right here on the on the spot it, it's hard to conceive of like how you would do a really good prequel or sequel with this with the audience already kind of in on the yeah. secrets of the movie right so but that being said, I think it'd be a lot of fun and, you know, hell, if they could make it work, I'd love to see a TV series about it. But but anyway, thank you at just underscore Erica underscore for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly is a comment from uh, at James Shannon Mo 2. So that's James S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O and then the number two. And he just wanted to ask if we would compare this to the film Scream and the fact that it's meta and pokes fun at all the cliches that we've seen in horror movies. Uh, I was actually thinking about this earlier, and it's tough because, like, 
I think that it does have some similarities to Scream in the fact that it's like looking at a very specific type of film in the genre. But the fact that it is so far removed from the main storyline, if that makes any sense, like Scream is you're living in a slasher film and mm. kind of dealing with it as it goes. Whereas Cabin, again, not trying to get into spoilers, you have this extra layer that I think makes it different than Scream. All of that was just super vague. Matt, you take it. You can explain it better. I mean, it doesn't matter <laughs> that it's different in that way. Like, I just think that, I mean, yeah, are they the same movie? No, but <laughs> but, I, but I do think that you can make that comparison because they are both extremely meta horror films that are commenting on an entire subgenre within the within horror, right? So, you know, Scream was commenting on slashers and The Cabin in the Woods, it's in the title. It's commenting on Cabin in the Woods horror movies, you know, dating all the way back to Evil Dead and possibly before that, right? So, I mean, for God's sakes, The Cabin in this movie is a homage to the <laughs> Evil Dead cabin. So, uh, so, so I think that they're very similar in that sense. I, the way that they're different maybe is that whereas Scream had a pretty big impact on the way that we looked at slashers and kind of made it so that for a very long time after that, it was hard to do a slasher without, you know, without just feeling like you could go in a new direction. Like Scream, like Scream basically just kind of came out and was like, that's it. We've had the ultimate <laughs> twist. No one's going to do a slasher better. <laughs> and you might as well just all give up right now, you know? Uh, obviously, that's not what happened and that's not whatever should have happened, but... But it, it caused for a very long time, like, slashers to have difficulty mm -hmm. after that, right? And I would say that The Cabin in the Woods didn't have the same effect on Cabin in the Woods horror movies because that genre is, you know, it's diff they're all different enough from each other that they yeah. don't really fall into a lot of the same tropes as slasher movies do, right? They still have them. They're just not as obvious, maybe, as slashers all the time. Yeah. But no, yeah, they're both meta. They both come from a meta period, you know, the late 90s, thanks to Scream, through the, early, through the like, 2000s, 2000, early 2010, 11, 12, right? Uh, that was a very meta period for the genre. Like, that. that's where we were making all kinds of movies that are winking at the audience and trying to clue them into what's going on, right? And, uh, and, and these two, to me, are the highlights of that. So Agreed. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, thank you, James, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and then one last thing we'd like to do before we get into spoilers of the film is just talk about the tagline versus the movie and what we think of it overall. So the tagline for The Cabin in the Woods was, you think you know the story. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Cabin in the Woods overall? I think it's a great tagline. I think that it really does hint at the multiple layers we get in this film. So A plus on tagline creation, I guess, for this one. Yeah, I've already said it. I fucking love this film. Um, it's definitely one of my favorites outside of the Friday the 13th stuff. I feel like Cabin in the Woods is the next level of just items I try to bring into the house. And I get very bummed that there is no Cabin in the Woods merchandise. I yeah, want it's it. It's unfortunate. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. I The tagline that I think is great. I think it adds to the mystery of the movie. Like I was saying, I, again, the poster is this Rubik's Cube cabin and that tagline. And you just... Keep in mind, you know, when this film came out, again, the marketing was great. You know, I like I, I did not know what was going to be going on in this movie. None of us did, or, or at least it hadn't been revealed. You know, it wasn't mm. it wasn't like back in Twitter days where, you know, a bunch of critics are out there spoiling shit <laughs> constantly, which I'm saying in reference to Candyman, which has come out this week. 
I luckily have not read those spoilers, but I've come close to them <laughs> and stopped myself. But listen, I just want to say, people, stop talking about shit so openly. <laughs> <laughs> DM each other for that crap, you know? Like, we do not have to... We get it. You saw the movie early. You don't have to go out and spoil it for everybody on Twitter. Yeah, so, that's no fun. Uh, just not cool. Um, but anyway, no, so Cabin didn't have that. You know, nobody really knew what was going to happen in this movie. And so that that was all very effective in kind of building up the mystery. I do think it's interesting, like, Cabin itself is an interesting film in selling that way, though, because, you know, everything about the marketing also kind of goes against like the selling points of cabin in the woods mm -hmm. so basically like if you were you know back when these trailers were coming out and even the poster like if you were to see that yeah there's some mystery to it but the way that the film was advertised what you see in the trailer just looks like another cabin in the woods movie yeah you know like it didn't it didn't look like anything special and at the time this was before you know all the weed and stuff had come out at the time, you know, the combination of Whedon and Drew Goddard, everybody was like, well, fuck it. I'll see it. I'll see it because they made it, right? Yeah. And then you go and see it and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> this is this is great. You know, I didn't expect this. Uh, like, we all knew that there was going to be something more. Mm -hmm. It's just that it, it did a great job of not telling us what. So, uh, so no, but yeah, Cabin in the Woods is great. The last thing I'll add before we get into spoilers is, look, Chris and I uh, love this movie so much that... One of our first, one of our, if not our first anniversaries. So Halloween Horror Nights here, Universal's Halloween Horror Nights in LA and Florida. They do uh, Halloween Horror Nights, and it's like a bunch of haunted houses themed off of movies, right? And they do a lot of great stuff, like Friday Thirteenth houses, Nightmare on Elm Street houses, you know, whatever. And there was one year where Florida always gets the better houses because they have more space in their studios. Every time. Uh, so there was one year where they were doing a cabin in the woods house. And Chris and I specifically flew to Florida <laughs> <laughs> to go to Universal there just to do that house. And it was you know? so worth it. And it was worth it. It's still my favorite Universal Horror Nights house that I've been to. But uh, but just to give you an idea, like keep in mind, these both... Universal Horror Nights do most of the same stuff, <laughs> right? It was just this one had cabin and ours in LA didn't. So we're like, fuck it. We're going to go all the way to Florida just to do this haunted house. Yep. <laughs> and it was totally worth it. Um, Florida itself, though, I, I apologize to anyone who lives in Florida, uh, stinks. <laughs> there was a gang of raccoons and cats by our hotel. They had teamed up. Yeah, no, they were super raccoons and cats. Um yep. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, no, it, not my favorite state. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, so we're gonna get into the spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen the Cabin in the Woods, please do go check it out. It's very much worth renting. I can't remember if it's streaming. I don't believe it is though. Uh, but go check it out. And otherwise, we're gonna jump into spoilers now. So as usual, who do you want to talk about in this film? You know, we haven't really mentioned the cast yet. Uh, there's Dana, played by Kristen Connolly. Kurt, played by Thor, aka Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> Uh, Jules, played by Anne Hutchison. Marty, played by Fran Kratz. Holden, played by Jesse Williams. Who do you want to talk about? Uh, so I really want to talk about Jules because, A, I love her, but also I feel like she's a very tragic character. So with Jules, the reason I want to talk about her is, like, in the whole mythos of Cabin in the Woods, you know, all of our, all of our college kids are reduced down to a single trait. Um, and she gets reduced down to the whore. 
Mm. And the tragedy, I think, with Jules that we sometimes miss is that every other character in this movie, we got to meet their original selves at the beginning of the film. Before everything starts kicking in and they start becoming more those like typical characters, you know what I mean? But Jules already had the blonde hair dye in and it kind of felt like we never got to know her other than as this kind of airhead girl, Um, even though she's pre-med. I disagree. I do like I so I guess I guess I have to disagree like I I do see what you're saying you know I think I think there's definitely the arguments that of the characters that we have we do get to know her real self the least maybe Mm -hmm. um but I but I think that if you watch this movie closely like you do see the the extreme differences between the way that she is when she first meets Dana in her in her dorm room and how she is at the cabin. Oh, definitely. You know, like, well, because when she's in the dorm room, she she comes off as like, I mean, look, I, I don't think that the things that she does in the dorm room really, you know, prescribe to the quote-unquote whorish personality, right? <laughs> like, uh, like, you know, she's doing things like, yeah, talking about, like, Dana's going to wear this swimsuit. That, you know, it doesn't make her any sort no. of girl. Commenting on the fact that Dana's bringing, like, all these biology books. I would say the same thing. It doesn't make me a whore, you know? It doesn't make me a dumb whore to say, why would you want to read biology books on a fucking getaway weekend, you know? Uh, and then uh, she also expresses, like, her sense of humor. And, and she's, like, quoting things, you know, with, uh, I learned it from watching you and talking about the books, right? So... So I do we get it we get a good sense of her humor, you know, and like who she kind of is as a person. The only thing you don't see is just I guess how bookwormy she is, <laughs> which maybe she's not, you know, being pre-med doesn't make her that. So No, I think I think the thing for me with it is I kind of look at Jules and kind of a little bit of her treatment kind of you know, this whole movie is kind of making a commentary on like the tropes and the stereotypes that we get with these films sometimes. And I think something that horror films can be kind of bad about sometimes is when you have the slutty character, when you have the horror character and that character really kind of getting reduced down and kind of just being seen as as that thing. And I think that Cabin in the Woods does a really good job with Jules emphasizing that because we don't get as much like early character stuff with her. And I think that that's tragic when it comes to Jules but I also think that it's part of the brilliance of Cabin in the Woods and how they're showcasing like these characters and these tropes and all that kind of stuff I would also like to point out that a lot of the like character change we see in this movie is all due to the costuming which is fucking brilliant it's Mm -hmm. so subtle and so smart and as a costume person I think it's amazing yeah, no, customers do not get enough credit. Uh, they more, do not. <laughs> mo- more of you more of you need to show appreciation for costume work because, believe it or not, costumes make or break a movie. And, it, you know, to give you an example of that, just think, like, you know, what's part of the reason we like Sleepaway Camp? I don't know. I kind of like it because they're all wearing those goofy-ass shorts. Yeah, like. <laughs> the short shorts and the crop tops. It just, just yeah, no, the, the costume is very important. And, it de- and this movie does a great job with it because you do get little subtle details, you know, like Holden suddenly wearing glasses halfway through the movie, right, that we didn't know that he had. Uh, but so who I want to mention really quick is just the the harbinger Mordecai <laughs> uh, played by Tim DeZarn. And the reason I want to mention him is, one, because I, I love his inclusion because this is a big trope of the Cabin in the Woods films, you know, d- dating all the way back to, uh, I'm probably before this, but 
but I think the most famous one is Ralph in Friday the 13th, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you're all doomed, doomed, <laughs> right? Like, you know, the, the fucking old dude as, as described in this movie that stands out there and might as well be wearing a sign that you're going to die, right? He's a great character, and I love him being there and, and, and representing all that. But I think what's interesting here is that he's actually not a harbinger just for the kids in this movie. He actually ends up playing his role for the film in this like, you know, in the sense that he he actually plays it in a way that attributes to the story that's happening all around, in the sense that, you know, he later calls uh Hadley, played by Bradley Whitford, and Citizen played by Richard Jenkins. He later calls them, you know, basically to have this like mission accomplished call. Mm-hmm. And it turns into this big, like jokey comedic scene where they have him on speakerphone, right? But the thing that very casually gets slipped under that scene is that he starts to warn them <laughs> about Marty and yeah. how and how and how he's like an insolent, you know, person who might cause them issues. And everyone just kind of laughs him off and is <laughs> like, you know, fucking fucking around with him. Then the scene quickly cuts away, right? <laughs> and I just find that fascinating because Marty ends up being. <laughs> the one who fucks up all of their plans and figures everything out and ends up just destroying the entire world because (laughs) of it. And so I just think it's fascinating that, you know, they know that this guy is the harbinger and yet they themselves are not listening to him. (laughs) Yeah. Like they know what his role is and they're completely ignoring it when it comes to themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And to me, it's just uh, it's commenting on like the characters in these movies and how they typically are, because, you know, like they say in the film, you know, the guy might as well be, you know, you're going to die sign. Right. And in this case, Mordecai is he's not wearing the sign because they can't see him, but he's, he's <laughs> telegraphing to them. You're going to die if you don't listen to me. And they laugh him off and don't <laughs> listen to him, and then they die. <laughs> just like the teens. Uh, so, so I just think it's interesting. You know, I, I've always found that character kind of, kind of interesting in the fact that like he, he is there to cause characters to continue to transgress, right? To to ignore warning signs, to do things that they shouldn't, mm-hmm. and that's what's going on here. You know, like this. This is where I think the film is so fascinating. And we'll get more into this as we go, but is that. Sitterson and Hadley and all the people at the company, they're transgressing as well. They just don't realize it. (laughs) (laughs) They think they're above it. Exactly. So, you know, so that being said, like, so we end up, you know, kind of discovering that this, there's this whole like company basically that's sacrificing these kids uh, to these monsters underground, right? To, to satisfy this old ancient ritual for these great old one Lovecraftian monsters living underground, just sort of fucking great concept. <laughs> but, uh, but in doing that, you know, they end up turning these kids into the stereotypes from Cabin in the Woods movies. You know, the dumb mm-hmm. blonde, the jock, the nerd, the virgin, quote unquote. Why do you think that they have to be turned into that? And why does this ritual require youth? You know, as our amazing cameo from Sigourney Weaver says, you know, like the ritual is about youth. It has to be youth. Uh, Cause old people are just jealous. Um. Partially. Yeah. That's actually oh. kind of sort of how I look at it. Uh, so the way that I kind of look at it, um, especially when it comes to 
like the kids and i think it's interesting that even you and i when we're talking about these cabin in the the woods films um with both cabin fever and with this one we're calling them kids but they're college age they're basically adults hey, they're kids they're like 15 years <laughs> younger than me they're kids now that's exactly <laughs> my point I feel like the reason why we're seeing them reduced down to these stereotypes is I think that it's an unfortunate mechanism that you see older generations do to younger generations a lot. We have a tendency, I think, sometimes to reduce younger generations down to kind of like these stereotypes. You know, we call them lazy. We say that they're distracted. We kind of reduce them down to like these one word things. And we kind of forget the fact that they are nuanced human beings. Um, Yeah, but that doesn't just apply to teenagers. That applies to all of us. It does. <laughs> but I think it specifically happens a lot with kids. I think it happens a lot with like teenagers uh, where because of their youth, people don't really want to take them as seriously as like other adults necessarily. I'll <laughs> add to what you're saying is this. In that, so I, I don't think it's just about the fact that older people look at youth a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think that for one, when you consider... When you consider society in general, you know, and when you look at these stereotypes, part of that is, is, you know, this film is actually a lot about society and like the box it kind of creates for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of these characters, they're, they're being placed into that box, you know? So like all of our characters are these nuanced individuals who have personalities, who have varying interests and, you know, stuff like that. But, but they are reduced down by this company into these basic stereotypes of the drunk jock dick, right? Mm-hmm. The the blonde whore, the nerdy dude who just wants to get laid, right? The, uh, the stoner, hey, Holden right? Holden is very <laughs> respectful. He is, but he has a husband bulge, Chris. He wants some. <laughs> He's husband bulging for Dana, I okay? mean, if you made out with Dana, you would also have a husband bulge. Fuck yeah, I would. Dana is gorgeous, yep. all right? Like, I also would have had... You know, two sides staring at me if she was unchanging <laughs> on the other side of a mirror. So, so no, but, but, you know, but it's, it's focusing on the fact that, like, we as a society, like this movie. So here's what's interesting. Th- this film, I think that, you know, I think that the, the, the takeaway that a lot of us can get from it is it's commenting on the film industry, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk more about that in a second. And, and, you know, the film industry and, like, horror movies in general and just kind of the basic stereotypes and everything. But a greater scope of the film is about society and about the way that we box each other into different stereotypes. You know, we we end up looking at each other certain ways and don't look past that, you know, especially in high school. That's where it happens a lot. You do in high school look at people like jocks or the whores or the nerds. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is why a lot of those are referenced that way in slashers, because that's kind of like our identities at the time, right? We're, you know, teenagers are dumb. Like we're not, we're, we don't, we don't understand nuance as much at that time, right? So we mm-hmm. do kind of box each other into these things. But what I think is really interesting, going back to the the old person comment here, now that we are them, um, <laughs> is how is how old people actually use youth to manipulate youth. Yep. You know, so think about it this way: in society. It's the old it's the old people that are in charge. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the youth nope. like you. You have you know, you have successful business people out there that are in their 30s or 40s. But for the most part, I mean, let's be frank. It's people in their 50s and above that run the world, yeah. you know, <laughs> 
and and you see that come through a lot in society especially when you look at advertising you know think of most advertising like if it comes to you know something like beer or cars or all this stuff most of it is done using youth you know mm-hmm. they're like they're not like they're tip- they're typically not putting like you know some some old grandpa in a budweiser <laughs> commercial right and being like you can be as cool as him wearing his pants up to his armpits right <laughs> You know, like they, they typically don't do that. They're using youth to sell it. Yeah. And by using youth to sell it, it then manipulates other youth. Mm-hmm. And so and so I guess what I'm getting at is like, you know, Cabin in the Woods ultimately is really just commenting on like how society as a whole is manipulating youth, is pressuring youth. Yep. You know, there is all this pressure that goes on in this film, like Dana being pressured to do the dare because Kurt says that she always says truth, right? And he's like, basically, basically like people being turned into things that they're not. Yeah. You know? And that all comes as a result of the pressure of society, of mm. the manipulation of society. Yeah. So. Well, and I want to, I just want to make one more comment about like the sacrificing of youth as well. And I think that that, I think it's really prevalent in this film because there's a line, I think Sitterson says it, that like if the kids don't transgress, they can't be punished. How do our kids transgress in this? They're curious. That's it. They're curious. They want to go down into the basement. They want to learn more, explore their world. They want to read and gain more knowledge. And that's what they're punished for. Well, yeah, but that's transgression in a society where old people are running it and don't want you to learn their secrets. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what I find fascinating is I think that there is, you know, this tendency to punish youth for questioning and trying to grow and also punish them for not knowing things that they have no possibility of knowing. I think that's what we get in horror films. Yeah, how dare they? learn about husband bulges (laughs) (laughs) they already know about husband bulges do they chris i don't know (laughs) i am but yeah i think that that's again this movie is brilliant and touches on so much of this stuff i want to kind of go to one of my favorite scenes and that's where everybody in the company is betting on which monsters are going to come out and i'm kind of curious how you feel about like that scene in particular and um the guard my favorite truman um who's played by i am brian white um, and he makes a comment that, you know, that's just he makes the question of, is it something that we should get used to? Well, first off, one last comment for the last thing, which is just <laughs> to say you you really want to be like chilled, you know, think about it this way. What does our society do when we go off to war? It's all the young people dying. Yep. You know, it's it's all the teenagers, all the 18 year old, 20 year old kids being sent out to go fight these wars. It's not the fucking 60, 70 year old business people at the top, you know, it's nope. all the fucking kids. So I'm just saying the youth is always used for our sacrifice. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the kind of the chilling core of this movie that is not right there in the surface for you, but it's mm. pretty much there. Um, but okay. As far as what you're asking, that whole conversation adds a sinister element to this movie and again, this is why I think Cameron Woods is brilliant, because it's a really fun movie. It's very entertaining. There's lots of stuff in here for horror fans, lots of references, Easter eggs. And all of it, I think, makes it really easy to kind of look past the really fucked up <laughs> stuff that's going on here. And, you know, in this regard, like, basically, I feel like this is kind of talking about how, you know, we as a society... We crave violence. Yeah. You know, in, in, in think about it this way. 
like we have you know we have uh ultimate fighting we have football you know like we we have violent movies like we have all of this violent stuff in society and i am not speaking against that nope. as you all obviously know because <laughs> i love violence i'm not afraid to admit that i love violence i yep. don't commit violence but i love it but 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 i think part of that is is that like human you know, human beings kind of fall into one or two categories. You're either the one who's going out and committing violence, or you're the one who is ingesting violence <laughs> uh, in order to keep you satiated so you don't commit violence. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I mean, going back as far as, as mankind can go, mm -hmm. you know, we've always had some form of violent entertainment, whether it be like gladiators or or war or mm -hmm. dog fighting. You know, like we there's always some kind of awful violence in our society that we don't just participate in, but we encourage. Mm -hmm. We bet on. <laughs> we bet on, right? And so, so yeah, that whole comment there, you know, it's it's kind of about that. But the other interesting thing, though, that I kind of like is it's kind of, you know, it, it's sort of, to me, it also sort of reflects of, like, kind of the fun of being a horror fan yeah. in, in a lighter way because, you know, there is that excitement with horror movies of, like, who's going to die? Who's, you know, what, what monster is going to be? revealed in this movie right like we all get excited about that stuff and the crew in this film kind of represents that they're the, the audience in a lot of ways right mm -hmm. yeah for for me that's kind of how i take this scene is that this is very representative of the horror fan and how much we love our monsters we have our specific monsters that we're always rooting on we're betting on please give us this movie like we just want to see our monsters which I think is really cool, you know, for, for me in response to like Truman's question about like, should, should we ever get used to it? You know, in terms of, I think, referencing like the violence and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to horror movies and horror fans, for me personally, I don't, I think it's because I never get used to the violence or the kills. They always shock me. I always have a reaction to it. You know, I cheer, or I cry or what have you, but that's kind of symbol of not... I I, I think I think you're looking at this too much <laughs> as a reference to horror films. Like I, <laughs> that's what I have a tendency to do. No, so so look that that whole conversation. I, look again. I think I think this is the trap we fall into with this movie, where it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, there there's the very there's very upfront commentary on movie going mm -hmm. and creation of movies, but but the but the whole the whole discussion there on violence. I don't think it's necessarily about movies. Mm -hmm. I, I just think that it's about the human condition and. You know, the fact that we do crave that stuff so much, you know, and, and that's what he's asking. It's not he's not asking, like, you know, should we be OK with this in movies? He's asking, should we be OK with this, period? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and 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 keep in mind, in their context, he's not necessarily talking about a movie because they're watching real life. Right. Yeah. So so I don't so. I guess what I'm saying is movies, good. Movie, movies are a good release. <laughs> movies introduce us to horrors so that we don't have to, you know, so that we don't have to necessarily deal with them directly. They're, they're a way to acknowledge that they exist and process it in a way that is safe, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what he's kind of talking about is, like, in real life, like, should I enjoy watching football where people get the shit beat out of them? You know, like, should, <laughs> like, like, should we stop uh, or slow down when we drive by a car crash because we're curious about, you know, the carnage? Like, uh -huh. should those things excite us in any way? Like, I don't mean excite like, yeah, yeah, people dead in a car crash. I mean, 
but just like should they excite us in in even just as so much of a curiosity right yeah and you know it ultimately just kind of comes down to this idea of like how we as as people we we devour that shit mm-hmm. you know like like not to call out my mom here but like <laughs> you know my mom uh around the time where reality tv was becoming a huge thing and yes believe it or not there was a time where reality tv didn't exist and it was a blissful beautiful time <laughs> um but but when when that was first coming around and her and my sister would watch it all the time i would constantly ask because i didn't get it i'm like why do you like this so much you know and they would say things like well i like watching people who are worse off than i am you know, which is pretty sick. Oof. It's pretty sick, right? Yeah. It's pretty fucked up, but, but, but it makes sense because that's just how we are as people. We we like to watch failure. We like to watch <laughs> death. We like to watch. We like to watch bad things. We're attracted to it for some reason, and in that, and in sort of the way we view horror films, we end up looking at those things as you know disconnected from us. You know, like think of the things going on in Afghanistan right now. A lot of us are probably like, oh, that's awful, but I'm still going to go eat breakfast today and be fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us maybe aren't processing that the way that we should, but, you know, you look through this film and here's all these people that are basically being turned into objects. They're being objectified. Yeah. And it's why I really love the scene with Jules uh, making out with the wolf because to me, the wolf sort of represents like our primal instincts, mm-hmm. you know, where where you know essentially like Jules is there for like us to devour in a sense, right? Yeah, like for us to devour her 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 personality and, and look at her as just this 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 pair of tits, right? Yeah, like, just a sex object. Yeah, exactly. Like we're devouring her as a person. We're we're eating up all of these people mm-hmm. <laughs> and just consuming them and being like, oh yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Uh, I have a major headache. I don't know if any of this makes sense right now, but <laughs> uh, but basically, it just gets back to the idea of like we we as humans we don't tend to look at people that we don't interact with as people. Yeah, you know, like it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah, and that <laughs> is that is not okay. Uh, and to go along with that, you know, I'll just add too that you mentioned how this film acknowledges the tragedy of Jules. Mm-hmm. I I do think that that's what's great about it, and. I, I do think that it does that, which is really great as well. And you can see that in the scene where, you know, Jules is uh, taking it all off, <laughs> right? Uh, because it doesn't play out like your average sex scene in a horror film in the sense that, you know, most of the time, like, we've got that going on. And there might be, like, some corny music as we're getting, like, a POV of Jason, like, lurking around the tent, <laughs> right? Um, but for the most part, it's, it's meant to be sexy. Mm-hmm. And in this... You know, even though Anna Hutchison is very attractive, uh, yep. it's not really a sexy scene because there's this sort of like there's like this voyeuristic, sinister discomfort about it, where the entire track building up through that scene is very like dark and eerie, and it, it's almost in a sense of like we're not supposed to be enjoying this, you know? Yeah, like it's the film itself telling us like, hey, we know she's hot. You shouldn't like this because you know what's about to happen to her. So, <laughs> um, so again, just calling back to like how we sort of devour these people, but kind of touching on that, like, what do you think this film does say about the creator and audience relationship? Since there is 
a hell of a lot going on with that in this. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to attempt this one, and I know you'll correct me when I'm wrong. For me, the thing that it really says is that it is a very delicate balance. It's a very delicate ballet between creator and audience. Because the way that I view this film, and I'm going to view it very straightforwardly, is that in Cabin in the Woods, the ancient ones are the audience. Yeah. Um, and Hadley and Sitterson are, um, are the creators. And it's the creators have to work really hard to create this very natural feeling horror film ostensibly to appease all of these different things even though they might not really like what they're doing kind of going back to that scene you were just talking about with jewels and the the sex scene is um you know truman asks like is this really necessary and hadley's response is you know, we're not the only ones that are watching. We have to keep the customer satisfied. And so I feel like that's really what we're seeing play out in this film is, you know, what lengths do the creators have to go to keep the audience satisfied and to keep the trolls down? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get partial credit. Yeah, no, I mean, again, look, I, yes, uh, on the uh, on the level of the commentary it's making about the film industry in general, uh yeah no I mean that's pretty spot on like they're you know look it, it's what it's it, it's part of what's interesting like this film is kind of a <laughs> I don't I don't know if this is the right way to look at it but this film's kind of a middle finger to the audiences <laughs> because because it's basically so think about it this way you know you had you had the whole Sonic fiasco right yes where the original image of Sonic is released for what's gonna be in the movie. And a bunch of people fucking flip out on Twitter and possibly other social media. I'm really only on Twitter because I hate social media. Um, but but a bunch of people flip out about it, and so the studio goes and changes it. Now, granted, the image looked better. It did change for the better. Mm -hmm. But the piece of commentary here is that we are beholden now to that audience. Yeah. You know, there there's really. It's kind of like a weird double-edged sword, and I always find it very amusing when I'm on, you know, when I'm on social media or talking to people who say things like, there's no originality in horror. Mm. And I just want to put this very clearly, you know, and and hopefully nobody listening is insulted. I don't, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm just going to put it very clearly. If you think that we're not getting original horror, it's because you're not finding it. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's because of you, yeah. like, you know. So so for example, like, you know, the studio sees that the studio sees that you only go see Scream and all of the Scream knockoffs. You know, the studio sees that you will go see Halloween Part Thirty, but you won't go see uh, Annihilation. Mm -hmm. You know, the studio sees that stuff. And so guess what? They release Annihilation. Nobody goes and sees it. It bombs, despite it being a fucking brilliant movie. It's amazing. They don't make Annihilation anymore. They put out Halloween 30. <laughs> Everyone goes and sees it. They go, okay, we're going to make 10 more Halloweens. You know, so so, so it's, it's basically just like if you feel that way and if you feel like Hollywood is consistently giving us the same old stuff, mm -hmm. go seek out the stuff <laughs> out there that is original. Go see the things yeah. that, you ha that you haven't seen before. Go see the things that are trying to do something different. You know, and, and, and so this comes down to that, where it's like they put all these stereotypes into the characters and, and they do all of these very basic bitch things, you know, like manipulating it so that Jules takes off her top and, you mm -hmm. know, does simple things like that. They do that because they're like, 
well, this is what the audience wants. We don't really have room for creativity here. <laughs> they're not. They're not doing anything creative. You know, yeah. they're they're. It's it's like uh, it's like the seller thing. They just they manipulate them to go into the seller, and then there's all the shit right there. There's no like special way that each monster is released. You know, they mm-hmm. just pick up a fucking object <laughs> in the seller, and then that's it, right? Like they're, you know, it's it's just saying how we we are such a ravenous fan base and that we just crave the same shit over and over again uh-huh you know and there's nothing wrong with that yeah but but it is kind of saying like to me that's the creators venting in these moments <laughs> of just saying like this is how we feel we feel like you just want the same shit from us all the time <laughs> and we want to do something a little different we want the merman yeah we want the unicorn that's running around the hallway stabbing people <laughs> that, no- love that, that nobody ever gets to see yeah. uh, but on a deeper level you know beyond like the film industry stuff i think that you know, ultimately, you look at this as honestly being a, a a relationship commentary between the general public and those who are in charge. Yeah. You know, because you can look at this and you can say, OK, there's things in this that represent the film industry, you know, like the uh, like everything we were just talking about. There's little things like sexual harassment going on in this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And it ends up when you really study it, like all this shit plays out everywhere in the world all the time. Yeah. You know, every corporation has sexual harassment, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, every corporation is driven by some kind of ravenous fan base <laughs> that is wanting something, but they at the same time are manipulating. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. The, the world around you is constantly trying to manipulate you you know, like everywhere you go, there's fucking pheromone gas being <laughs> being sprayed to make you feel a certain way. Like if I go out and turn on TV right now, I'm going to see a fucking Del Taco commercial and I hate Del Taco. And I'm going to be like, God damn it. I'm fucking craving Del Taco now. <laughs> you know, like it's 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 going beyond the film industry and just talking about how we as people are constantly manipulated, constantly put in these boxes, constantly viewed in one specific way. Right. Mm-hmm. And. And this shit is just rampant. There's a yeah. rampant, <laughs> uh, there's a rampant just lack of originality, you know, yeah. and, and a lack of realness to the world. <laughs> um, I will have to say, in terms of that, I think one of my favorite kind of middle fingers to the audience in this film is, you know, we all, I think, as as filmgoers, occasionally like to nitpick at like the plot holes and stuff like that. And I feel like the creator, I feel like they did a really great job in Cabin doing a giant middle finger to the people who do that with the tunnel cave-in scene and then Kurt running into the wall. Because I feel like that was like our creator's commentary on like, oh, they could escape because of the tunnel? Fuck you. Okay, we have to blow the tunnel. Look at this ridiculous scene. And oh, you think that Kurt could just like jump over that valley and that's how he could escape all of this? You know, fuck you. Giant invisible wall. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, and it's stupid. Stop nitpicking at our movie and just enjoy what you're seeing. Oh, sure. I mean, but but just, you know, uh, one last thing for the, for those who are like, oh, I don't know that it's about us fans being ravenous. Look inside yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> look inside who you are. <laughs> you know, look at this movie. Like, look, I mean, for God's sakes, there's a painting in one of the rooms with a bunch of wolves tearing apart a carcass, right? Yep. That is us. Yeah. We're the wolves, people. Yes. 
we're the wolves. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we're the wolves tearing apart the, <laughs> these people, tearing apart the youth, tearing apart, like, whatever we can get our fucking hands on to fit, you know, because we want something, right? Yeah. I, I sometimes wonder if this podcast is, like, listening to one of those, like, crazy UFO believers out in the middle <laughs> of Nevada or something, you know? Probably. Like, where it just goes on, like, these bends of, like, I'm now I'm fucking talking about conspiracies and I'm not about to get into the Illuminati and all that crap, but who knows? Maybe they exist. Um, maybe they're the ones running everything. But uh, so I kind of feel like, based on everything we just talked about, that you potentially agree with with Marty's theory that society needs to crumble. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, if I didn't think that if I didn't think that society needed to crumble before, let's say like 2000. I don't know what was it 2017 2018 if I if I didn't think that society needed to crumble before Trump got elected I certainly believe that society <laughs> needs to crumble now you yeah. know I mean I I don't know about the rest of you but I look around I look around the I look at the world around me sometimes and I'm just like oh let's see uh just focusing like this is just in america right mm -hmm. like let's see oh we had a we had an insurrection on january 6th that half the country either thinks wasn't real or or was staged by like <laughs> blm or had no, or, or at the very least had nothing to do with trump or just straight up wasn't an insurrection mm -hmm. with fucking senators you know saying shit like uh like oh it's just a normal tourist day. <laughs> like we've got we've got that kind of shit going on. We've got a fucking pandemic killing thousands of people per day where half the country's like either thinks the pandemic isn't real or they're causing violence over having to wear a fucking piece of cloth over their face. <laughs> like the the maniacs have taken over the asylum. Yep. You know, like they what like the movie Idiocracy said, all of the you know, the smart people are becoming outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like there's just <laughs> the maniacs are in control. And and that's not what Marty's talking about necessarily. Marty's talking about uh, what I was sort of mentioning before and the way that society is just one big grand manipulation. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what this movie really is. That's what it really is deep down. It goes so far beyond uh, just commenting on the film industry itself into areas of like how we are just this ravenous society that is willing to tear each other apart the moment <laughs> that anything <laughs> begins to crumble. And that's exactly what's happening right now. And then, mm. you know, not to be frank, but it's like kind of fucking terrifying, right? Yeah. Like, because, you know, what Marty's really saying here is, you know, he mentions how, uh, how society is like the, the glue and the cracks, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's really what we are. And we're realizing that more and more over the last few years where it's like, you know, the the smallest disagreement or the simplest thing, the simplest thing, like putting a piece of cloth on your face <laughs> is enough to rip us apart. Yeah. You know, and and all it and we're realizing all it takes is something like a pandemic, something mm -hmm. so, something like a, an election. All it takes is something so, you know, something that we should generally be united by that is just tearing us to pieces. Yeah. Um. So. So, you know, and, and 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 the theme of society crumbling is present from the very opening scene. Mm -hmm. And it's very subtle. And it's why I love the writing of this movie, because you've got uh, Hadley talking about having to liberate his cabinets. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe it means nothing, 
But I just think an entire scene about liberation yeah. <laughs> uh, is kind of on the nose with the fact that we are talking about, you know, uh, essentially an anti-establishment movie mm-hmm. <laughs> that is suggesting that society just really isn't what we think it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's the whole it's the whole idea of the movie. Everything's a fabrication. Every The fact that we're not all killing each other right now at this mm-hmm. very moment is simply because society is there as the glue that up to this point has held together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, you know, with why I find Marty so interesting in this in this film is because he is actually fulfilling the the role that the fool used to have in medieval courts. In medieval courts, the fool's job was it was the only person who could speak the truth to the king. And ostensibly the audience is the king in this situation. And Marty is spending this movie basically telling us, begging us to disconnect, separate ourselves, and start thinking for ourselves again. Don't let ourselves be falling into these boxes that can divide us and all that kind of stuff. Well, right. I mean, I mean, look at it this way. Sigourney Weaver's character whispering to Marty throughout of like, you're going to go for a walk, you know, or something like that. That that's literally society just manipulating us to tell us what to do. Exactly. That, that's society telling you to go buy that Budweiser or go eat that Del Taco, you know? Yeah. Or go fuck up that or go fuck up the Capitol on, you know, January sixth. Like that that is society, it's politicians, it's all the people in charge trying to tell you what to do. And so many of us just, you know, fall into that and yeah. don't think for ourselves. Well, and I think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning in terms of the sacrificing of youth, you know, Sigourney Reader, the director, has a great line at the end where she's basically telling Marty and Dana that they have to kill Marty. And she puts it very frankly, you can either die for them or you can die with them. And I think Marty's choice to not sacrifice himself for the status quo that's willing to offer up the youth as sacrificial lambs, like our society does, like the younger generations are so fucked by the decisions the older generations have made. And his choice in the end to sacrifice himself to crumble society, to break it apart, to give everybody a chance to think and live for themselves and not sacrifice the kids like it's uh, so interesting yeah i so <laughs> so what I, do you guys say to that <laughs> well i don't i don't think that that's the intention i mean maybe the filmmaker's intention but not marty's I, like mart see this is the other side of it too that's interesting mm-hmm. is i don't think i don't think marty or dana are making that well maybe not dana but i don't think marty's making that decision uh, because he think because he truly believes society needs to crumble. I think he's mm-hmm. making that decision because he's a typical human and <laughs> selfish doesn't... and doesn't want to die. <laughs> when he's telling Dana not to shoot him, mm-hmm. you know. So I mean, like, bas- basically, in the end, nobody's right. Yeah. You know, like no one's right. I mean, you know, we <laughs> should we be manipulating these kids and sacrificing them? No. But should we also just let society completely crumble so that everyone <laughs> dies? No, like I at least at least I hope you don't want all the babies in the world being torn apart by Lovecraftian monsters. You know, like I I don't want that. Yeah. Do I think that society is extremely fragile and will probably inevitably fall apart a little bit? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I agree with Marty in that sense. And I think we've all had that comment of like, ah, fuck it. Just destroy it all, you know, because because it because again, at the end, it is just talking about like how we we just. We as a human race, you know, Cabin in the Woods is almost kind of, you know, out there to tell us, like, you know what? We might not, 
maybe we don't have much of a future. Yeah. <laughs> because because if if we're so if we're so hellbent on violence and betrayal and manipulation and all this kind of stuff, all these things that other animals don't do. <laughs> if if we're so hellbent on that, then you know, it, it's hard to imagine a future where like we all just get along and aren't dicks to each other. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, on that depressing note, uh <laughs> So, so who is your killer? We got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of the cabin in the woods? Oh, look, that goes to Hadley for wishing to see the merman. That guarantees you're going to get murdered by the merman. Yeah, he did not follow proper horror movie rules. He did um, not. For someone who literally writes the book, he is very not aware of the rules. Yeah, so I think it goes beyond Hadley. I think the entire company... <laughs> Uh, deserves the killer idiot award and that's because look uh without mentioning any shows in particular chris and i have both worked in reality tv we've worked on a lot of reality tv shows and i'll just tell you this any (laughs) any any show that somehow loses track of its contestants (laughs) would be shut down very quickly yeah (laughs) you know like like if you if you can't keep track of your contestants you're a very poorly run operation. Yes. And and the fact that these people have cameras and all these fancy setups everywhere, and yet they somehow lose track of Marty and assume that he's dead, everyone failed at their job. Yeah. <laughs> also, they so, shouldn't have installed a purge button. Probably should not have put the purge <laughs> button at the bottom of the first elevator, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about your killer death? Dude, the employee who gets murdered by a unicorn. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's mine too. Um, it's, 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 just, it's specifically not because uh, of the death itself, but just mm-hmm. the fact that I just love watching a unicorn murder somebody. <laughs> right? It's amazing. I want a horror film with a unicorn. That is now my choice in like the murder pool. Yeah, that that's the one. That's one of the few on that whiteboard that have nothing to do with a cabin in the woods. Like yeah. I can't recall a unicorn horror movie at a cabin. Uh, and I really want that now. I would love to see a cabin in the woods horror movie with a unicorn. Right? That'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, what about your... So that was mine too. So what about your killer MVP? Like, I'm torn because my killer MVP potentially goes to the Sugar Plum Fairy, um, who's played by uh, Phoebe... What? Ga- the fairy? Wait for it. Uh, Phoebe Gavlin you know, does this amazing job. I think she was still a kid when she was she was in this and the prosthetics were intense. But look, the Sugar Plum Fairy is one of my favorite monsters in this movie. It's so cool. And I think that it really like is a testament to the amazing work of the special effects crew, which I believe is AFX Studios. So they get runner up after the Sugar Plum Fairy. I mean, they did oh. the Sugar Plum Fairy, but... Yeah, no, I'm going to give it to the, to the effects people because... <laughs> And look, I get it. You know, in horror, it's easy to give it to the effects people, but I, but I do genuinely think that they deserve it for this movie because, you know, Cabin in the Woods was not made on a on an, on an enormous budget, right? Like it had a relatively small budget considering its release, and you know, when you take when you take that into consideration and just look at everything they accomplished with that budget, I mean, the effects in this film are incredible. Yeah, like you know, they 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 did so much monster makeup, like that third act is insane there's like 60 e- monsters even even just the amount of blood that's in the elevator <laughs> bank is is crazy yeah you know and and so the fact that they were able to do so much with so little uh i think is really a testament to that effects team i think they did a great job yeah. and and look let's be frank everybody's favorite part of this movie is that third act and a lot of it has to do with all the great monsters They're so amazing <laughs> 
Uh, so no, they definitely deserve it in my opinion. But uh, so before we wrap up, it is the end of the month. It is the end of our theme. <laughs> so we do have to give our usual ranking for everything that we've talked about this month. So, so far this month, it's been uh, the cabin in the woods, uh, cabin fever, the evil dead scare me. So how would you rank our four <laughs> movies from our cabin in the woods month? <laughs> this is the moment that I disappoint and horrify Matt. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yep. Okay. So coming in at number four is cabin fever. Uh, I respect people who like this film. It is not for me. Uh, it's not fun. Number three is Evil Dead. I hate you. <laughs> Look, I like Evil Dead 2 better than I, I like the first to? one. No, I like Evil Dead 2 better as well. <laughs> I, uh, you're definitely not married to me for my horror movie taste. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> uh, number two for me is Scare Me, just because I think it's such a fun, brilliant film. And number one is Cabin in the Woods, of course, because I fucking love this movie and if there was merch i would buy everything i'm still mad that universal studios had no cabin in the woods merch oh you know that reminds me the other thing i wanted to say about the effects team is look it's really <laughs> difficult actually uh you know something that they do is they a lot of their monsters are homages to other monsters right yeah um like they i, I forget what they call him in the film but they have the the pinhead knockoff right yeah and what it's actually really difficult i think to create uh characters that are paying homage to these past characters but yet look different enough that they're mm -hmm. kind of like their own unique thing mm -hmm. and i think they did that like the yeah. guy who, the guy who is a pinhead knockoff he's a, he's very interesting looking like i would watch a movie about that villain right yeah i fucking love him and he's the whole reason why i'm willing to reattempt watching the hellraiser movies because he's so cool listen I, th I most people would disagree with me i think hellraiser one through five are actually all solid like, I, I think the first two are brilliant, and then three through five, I do enjoy. Even five, people. I even enjoy five. <laughs> I that, think there's some good stuff there. Is that the space one? <laughs> no, that's four. <laughs> um, which I also really adore. But yeah, no, so my ranking uh, is, you know, per usual, quite different from yours. Um, so I do, have, I do also have Cabin Fever at the bottom. Again, I think it's an effective movie. I hate Eli Roth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, uh, and and there are some things that don't quite hold up about it, you know, where it makes it more difficult for me to rewatch it now 20 years later. But yep. uh, so that's at the bottom. Uh, Scare Me is at three. That is no knock on Scare Me whatsoever. I think Scare Me is a brilliant movie. It was one of my favorite movies in 2020. Uh, Josh Ruman's an incredible director. I can't wait to see more of what he does. But, I mean, look, you're talking about going up against Cabin in the Woods and The Evil Dead. Yeah, it's two, understandable. Two, 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 of, two of the best, I think, horror <laughs> movies. Well, one of the best horror movies out there and one of the best horror movies of the last decade. So uh, for me, Cabin in the Woods comes in at number three or, or number two, I guess, just because, yes, I think it's a brilliant film, super fun. And then The Evil Dead. I mean, The of Evil course. Dead, The Evil Dead's just, it's a classic. Mm -hmm. it, it's a great movie. And it is one of those two where I think it's got a campy vibe to it, mm -hmm. but it's actually really fucking creepy and scary too at the yeah. same time. And, and like I said on the episode, I mean, look, there are so few people out there with with a vision like Sam Raimi. It really bugs me that, you know, that Sam Raimi, I think, never quite gets that recognition. You know, like we like we have all those directors out there like Dario Argento and John Carpenter and all these people. But I feel like Sam Raimi, even though he's in the conversation, mm -hmm. we I feel like somehow he gets kind of left out. Yeah. Of, of being of being talked about in, in terms of like being one of those visionaries. But it's like, for God's sakes, you watch a Sam Raimi movie and the camera work is so fucking unique. Yeah. You know, like the Evil Dead 
was one of the movies that inspired me to want to get in the film because the 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 filmmaking aspect of it mm-hmm. uh is just incredible you know it just looks so different and so unique from anything at the time so so no yeah that's my number one but of course. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's going to do it for us on The Cabin in the Woods. Uh, we have not yet put up our poll for what themes we'll be talking about next week. So you can find that on our Twitter, at Killer Critics. We'll have a poll where you can vote to decide on what our theme will be for next month. Uh, so go vote there if you can. Otherwise, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And I hope you enjoyed our Cabin in the Woods Horror Month. And have a good night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night. Horror fans.